Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Cash News Podcast. As always, I'm joined uh, by my co-host and friend, Sean Ferrari, and we have a special guest, uh, which Sean will introduce in just a few minutes. Uh, this is episode number 10. If you already have listened to us in the past, thank you for listening. This is the first time you're listening. This We talk about everything to do with cash, currency, and payments. And um, today, much like always, we're really excited to be here with you. Over to you, Sean. Yeah, no, thanks. As Tom said, thanks for joining everyone. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here again uh, with, with my good friend, Tom. And we are making our way through the summer here. It seems like the summer is uh, rapidly flying by, but um, we've had a lot of good discussions. And, and today we're going to continue that. Uh, so we welcome Jessica Polin uh, to to chat with us today. Um, for those of you, I mean, I, I feel like Jessica's out and about about as much as we are at the various different shows and talking. I know she's talked at, at ours at, at Currency Research for a while. Um, so I think a lot of you know Jessica, um, but for those of you that don't, uh, she is the VP of Global Product Commercialization. Uh, it's a mouthful um, over at um, PayComplete. So um, Jessica, we, we welcome you to the show and we just want to chat with you a little bit about what you're seeing out there in the market and and what have you. So I, I say welcome, and uh, maybe you can just start off a little bit with, with kind of what brings you to, to this yeah. world of pay complete and cash, and uh, we'll jump into what you're seeing in the market. But Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Sean. Yeah. Um, and thanks, Tom, as well, for having me here. So my title absolutely is a mouthful, um, it, but I think it balances because people always say I'm a handful. So I think it, it actually makes sense and, and kind of matches my personality. So, um, you know, where I got started in cash management, and maybe that'll be just a quick kind of intro to kind of who I am and why I'm here. So I used to live in Brazil, uh, lived there for about a decade um, and consider myself, even though I'm, you know, super, you know, Southern and, and, and all of that, I consider myself slightly Brazilian for the amount of time that I spent there. Now, where I got started was actually as a consultant um, and working with a franchise, a frozen yogurt franchise in California. One of the things that I noticed when getting them kind of going across, you know, different locations in Brazil was that we could never source coin. And it wasn't just, you know, go to your bank and try and, you know, get some coin. We would order it from a CIT, couldn't get it. We would order it from a bank, couldn't get it. I went so far as actually going to the actual central bank in Brasilia, trying to source coin and I couldn't get it. And so I noticed that it was a systemic issue um, and kind of more interesting than working on, you know, frozen yogurt and other food franchises. I started to dig into, well, what is this problem with, you know, circulation of currency? And so that's really kind of what got me started in, you know, cash management, understanding how cash and coin circulates um, and finding it really interesting. And that has kind of followed me through my career in that what I really do bring to the table in any one of my roles um, has been market observation. And so what I've been observing recently, and, and one of the things that I want to talk to you guys about is, you know, top of mind for, I think, a lot of your listeners and just folks in general and what we're seeing really is, you know, this massive labor shortage that has become, you know, a huge challenge for every type of, of business. You know, even our, in our own business, you know, it's, it's been tough to find temps, been tough to find, you know, qualified labor, um, you know, for a multitude of different reasons. And I think, you know, where we're going to expand on that topic is, well, what does that mean for the cash industry? What does that mean for, you know, automation? And so that's, that's what I'd like to talk to you guys about. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's definitely something we're seeing in the market. And it's it's funny you mentioned the uh, you kind of started in the coin 
uh, circulation challenge area. And as we've talked about on this podcast before, and uh, we at Currency Research held a webinar um, last week, actually, where we had some folks from the Fed on and get coin moving, uh, hashtag get coin moving for those that want to look for it um was a big topic right of just how to to get coins circulating so things in this industry definitely never um fully go away uh, there's there's always yeah. challenges like that um and yeah some of it's the labor shortage as you mentioned so so maybe we we pick up on the kind of that labor shortage piece and mm-hmm. kind of you know i'll toss it back back to you there and just say you know what does that mean what does it mean for for cash or coin usage or, or yeah. what what is the industry doing about it Yes, I think there's, you know, there's always this fear about automation, you know, automation is going to come in and take all of our jobs. And I've seen both arguments. So I've seen, you know, people that are experts in, you know, labor economics and have said, you know, you're never going to replace a person with a machine, you know, when that person is providing, you know, a value added service. And that may or may not be true. But I think, you know, what we're seeing is that, you know, there are instances, especially in that payment transaction, where we have been able to automate. And these are things that, you know, are not new to the industry. I mean, automation exists, everything from, you know, a simple vending machine that we've been using, you know, for, for years. And even prior to that, the automats, you know, where you were sticking coins and, and getting your cup of coffee. So, you know, that automation has always existed. And I think what we're seeing now, um, and you're seeing a lot of this experimentation with, you know, different groups. I mean, originally you saw, you know, a group like Home Depot, who was, you know, shifting to self-checkout, giving you, you know, those scanning guns, and then kind of reverting their cashiers into more kind of host-like functions. And we're starting to see that expand to other retailers where, you know, previously you would have these, you know, aisles and aisles and aisles of cashiers. So places like Walmart, Um, you know, in particular, I've noticed that, you know, Walmart in multiple different regions is running, you know, they're running stores now that are completely self-checkout. So everywhere from Fayetteville, North Carolina to, um, you know, Dallas, Texas, Osceola, Florida, um, you know, they're testing out this concept of, you know, removing the cashier from the mix and, you know, to an extent, either replacing or reallocating that labor to to higher value add. And so, you know, that is something that we're seeing. I think it is, you know, compounded by the fact that we are experiencing significant labor shortages across, you know, every industry at the moment. Um, and so that's that's been kind of one of the most interesting things to see. Now, I know that you guys have had other episodes where you've spoken to, you know, folks in our industry about, you know, some solutions that exist. And so I'm not really going to dig so much into that. But, you know, looking at well, what are the challenges and opportunities for those of us that, that operate in this industry? Yeah, it, it's always interesting. I just a, a quick anecdote on automation. I saw on the news this past week, uh, a restaurant um, somewhere was they had they got a robot um and it it was just driving along uh delivering the food to people but the interesting part was you had like a a wait staff walking behind the robot to then move the plate from the robot to the table so i was trying to figure out what's the point of this um but but nonetheless i mean i think it's it is interesting um as these are going to roll out yeah and in product management we usually call that that's the the mvp the minimally viable product just to let's just go test a concept you know even just duct tape some wheels on that machine and see if it if it flies um but you know interesting point i mean you're seeing you know some of the kind of more advanced you know technology things that you would expect to see you know like out of japan where you do have you know robots that are restocking shelves of convenience stores 
I mean, here we're seeing a, a little bit, uh, I think I wouldn't call it timid in innovation. It would be kind of more standard innovation where, you know, you're looking at where you can cut costs. Um, you know, another great example, and this has been out in the news for about six months now, you know, Steak and Shake, they had shut all of their, um, all of their lobby um, restaurant area, you know, obviously during COVID, a lot of restaurants had done the same thing. Um, but for them, it was, you know, an opportunity to revamp their model, you know, ultimately who they're competing with, um, you know, are folks that don't have, you know, that dine-in experience with, you know, servers and, and wait staff. And ultimately what they had seen was that their cost of labor was about 40% of overall costs. Now with, you know, the pricing that they have to compete with for the product, obviously it's not a sustainable model. So, you know, one of the things that, that you'll see now as they start to reopen these stores, you know, they've taken this opportunity to completely revamp and um, reconstruct um, and essentially, you know, reallocate some of the staff that comes, that is coming back, not all of them obviously coming back um, to have these, you know, kind of more concierge type roles. So assisting with those kiosks. Now, you know, the challenge that we're seeing, obviously, in our industry is, is a lot of times people take this moment of innovation to move away from cash. And they think that innovation is moving away from cash. And I think, you know, obviously, I don't have to, to evangelize that to the group that's going to be listening to this. But ultimately, you know, we know that there are alternatives and we know that, you know, ultimately, you know, they have to do whatever the customer is, is going to be asking of them. They want, they want to ensure the customer experience and, and that extends to payments. So I think that's, that's a very important message for, you know, folks outside of our industry, um, you know, that are making some of these decisions, you know, to be aware of. Yeah, I think when it's a good point, I think anytime there's a whole bunch of uh, media attention on a cashless society and it's, it's been tried and failed everywhere. It's tried for a whole numerous reasons. And we talk about this feels like on every episode and, and not not for self-preservation, but because it, it it has to do with everything we do uh, on the podcast. And I think when you're talking about automation um, or in the quick serve environment, people automatically go, well, oh yeah, the, the going away from cash, going away from people, but it's really more important to look at how do we make cash more accessible, easier for the people that work for you and your customer base and just a, an interesting tidbit about automation, uh, automation or AI. You know, um, it's a big, it's a big marketing right buzzword, right? AI is a buzzword. Artificial intelligence really just means a computer or a machine mimicking a human behavior. Um, the machine learning is when you get into the really cool stuff. But AI, your ATMs are are a perfect example of artificial intelligence. They took over what a human did. Automatic teller machines. That that is AI. Uh, when I say that, people go, oh, no, no, they automatically think robots, drones, all these other things. But it really, uh, AI or, and, and automation has been around forever. And the typical design is to make things more efficient. Um, and self-checkout generally does not uh, eliminate humans. It reallocates. Also, the dirty secret, and I don't think it's a dirty secret, is there's a legitimate labor shortage. People don't necessarily, it's not that easy to fill those jobs. So if you're in a retail environment, you need to be able to service your customer. And your, the, um, the other example that comes to mind, and this is old now, right? This is old news. But when I worked in Manhattan, um, one of the first McDonald's that put the, the kiosks in was mm -hmm. next to my office. And at first, everybody overreacted. And this, this was a pilot. So they literally took away the registers. It was just the kiosk. But they had to have someone stand at each kiosk 
because you know you have to show people mm -hmm. how to use it. And after the pilot, they left the kiosks in and they went to two registers instead of five registers. This is a very busy Manhattan location. So the automation just helped speed the process up. And I actually got to know the GM and, and was talking to them and they said, no, we have more people than we had before. We're just faster now. And he said, at first we were really thinking like, oh, we could, we could, we could do a labor savings, but the reality is what we learned is it, it gave us an efficiency that we didn't. And it also, they realized that some customers like to use the machines and some people don't. And if you're mm -hmm. like me, who doesn't want sugar in their coffee, doesn't want anything on their burger, like the machine for me, I don't want to use the machine because I'm guaranteed that it's going to get messed up because of the way it, it works. So I think there is this, this feeling about automation eliminating jobs and certainly we'll, we'll be realistic that it could but in every time we've really seen it in practicality outside of manufacturing we haven't seen that and even in manufacturing there's still a lot of people it's just they're doing different things and yeah. i'll leave with this is which is the walmart example that the wall street journal really every major news outlet posts if everyone remembers, Walmart did a big role of robots in stores and they pulled the stores and said it actually was not cost effective, that they could be more efficient and quicker with people. And they they publicized that in their retail stores. That's what, what they said. In their DCs and other environments, they said that wasn't necessarily the case and they didn't give specifics. But what they said is, yeah, we, we did this. And what we realized is it wasn't, it wasn't actually more efficient. It wasn't less expensive. Um, and that's that's a good example of, I think, when you, you think about sometimes, you know, trying something, it, it, kudos to them for trying it, you know, mm -hmm. kudos to them for actually going out and saying, I need to do this to see what happens. It's very much like the cashierless stores that you see with Amazon Go or, or 7-Eleven is, is they're not really cost effective right now that you have to try it to see what you need to do with the model. Um, and even those, when you talk about the cashless side of it is, um, well, if I have to use an app, why do I need to take cash? Because just because I have an app doesn't mean, you know, mm -hmm. I am going to use um, that money. And then in those environments, and we definitely talked about this, I think during the APEC thing, there's still a lot of people that don't have smartphones or don't use smartphones. So you eliminate actually a very large percentage of the population. So all of these things are yeah. really relevant. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that that goes to, you know, what I've learned by being a product manager for several years now. It's it's essentially your view of the market and what the market demands and the technology that might fit that market demand is based off of your own experience. So it's your own observation. So, you know, as someone who is in that innovation group, you know, if you fall within a certain demographic here in the United States, we can basically, you know, between Tom and, and Sean, they can basically tell you without ever knowing who you are, you know, what percentage of cash you transact with and what percentage card. And, um, you know, we, we know what your experience essentially is. And so your view of, you know, what you think is needed versus what you learn once you deploy um, is always very interesting. Um, and so that's one of the things that I love. So Tom, similar to you, you know, when McDonald's rolled those out, I think this was you know, a few years later, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is, is actually something called Nahito. 
and it's nothing important happens in the office and it's it's market observation essentially so so I did this at my local McDonald's who had just put in their kiosks and I sat there and literally just did check marks every time I saw someone use the kiosk or use the cashier and my observation and granted this is about three and a half years ago was that people would walk up to the kiosk because it was new it was exciting um, but as soon as they saw that the cashier was free they immediately ran over to the cashier um, you know, because it was at the same time, you know, you're clicking through all of those different options. It's, it's a little bit too much at times. Um, now, it'd be interesting to see it nowadays, um, you know, maybe COVID aside where, you know, dining room usage has, has gone down significantly. But, you know, have we gotten more used to that technology to the point where, you know, we're, we are more efficient with it? Um, so I'm curious to see. Yeah, I think we're. It's going to be interesting as we come out of COVID. Um, hope, which you know, uh, hopefully we get there at some point. Um, but as we move out, you know, what what does happen with payments? I mean, we saw from a lot of the studies and the diary studies that the Fed has done. Um, you know, there has been this significant decline or shift away from using cash. There's more cash yeah. out there. So it's this paradox, right? There's more cash out there still. So it's going somewhere. People are using it, but there's also the shift away from it where mm -hmm. um, the percentage of transactions are, are going down that are, that are cash, yeah. um, which makes sense because everybody's, you know, using shopping at home and using apps and, and doing all that sort of stuff. So as we come out of this, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think there's, you know, there's in economics, right? We always assume that everyone is a rational actor. Um, in reality, I don't know how, what percentage of people are rational, very few. So a lot of it can go out the window. Um, but it's also removal of a choice, right? In terms of payment choice, people don't like to be told they can't do something. Um, so even if I don't normally use cash and I walk into a place and it says cash not accepted, there's like this negative, like, what you're going to tell me I can't do this. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's just a, well, yeah. I mean, Tom and I wrote about this, um, you know, in an article back in December, which was the irrational fear of cash. And it was interesting because as we were doing the research for that article, it became clear to me, at least for the markets that I was surveying um, that, you know, us, Canada, mainland Europe, places like that, we were seeing, you know, kind of this immediate rush to, oh my gosh, cash is a transmission method, cash is dirty, cash is, you know, and, and merchants immediately putting up those do not accept cash signs. And it was funny because I had conversations with, you know, cash and transit providers and, and retailers in Latin America. And I didn't get any of that. And, and maybe it was a small sample pool and, and somebody who list, is listening can, can say that that's, you know, otherwise. Um, but it was funny that, that in cash intensive markets, that was not an issue. But in, in a market like ours, it became an immediate like, well, oh my gosh, get rid of the cash because we're all going to get COVID from it. I'm muted, which I'm pretty good at on the, on the <laughs> podcast. So I uh, can't say I'm good at it any other time, but on the podcast, I'm usually pretty good about it. Um, I think it, it's, it's interesting because I had actually, and I know that we did the research, but I also called a lot of people and um, talked about, you know, I have a friend in Germany who said, well, of course we use cash. We're going to continue to use cash. Mm -hmm. We always use cash. Like he was kind of like, what do you mean? Like he, he, um, he was, it, it is very specific to the market. They also, I, I think, uh, it, certainly there has been a digital transformation that's been occurring over the last, you know, 20 years, forget about it, but in the last five to 10 years, it's accelerated dramatically 
from the enhancements in smartphones and chip and, and computer. So some of this was on the roadmap and was happening and was happening already. It just really jumped because of COVID. And, and I believe that some of it had to do with, um, you know, an actual need. And then certainly, um, you know, any and all of the folks that did contactless payment went and, and said, look, we can do this and really pushed heavily, which is the right thing to do to help, you know, help piece it. The one thing Sean says, and I, I guess I'm just like Sean and don't realize it, is that when I see that, that people don't say it, keep cash, even if I have $3 in my pocket, I'm like, they shouldn't do that. I can't do that. Like I should be able to pay with whatever I want. And it's, it is kind of the, the feeling of, of, you know, why are our people, why are retailers specifically think that's a good idea? And I obviously talk to a lot of retailers and at times some of them are like, well, we only take 7% cash. And I'm like, well, you know, you're a publicly held company. I know how much you make. That's a lot of money like that. You're, you know, are you really willing to upset, uh, you know, 7% of your customers? And then, and immediately they go, I never really thought of it that way. That's usually the comment of what it is. Or a really honest comment of, well, we have a lot of trouble with CIT and we have a lot of trouble with moving money and it, you know, we lose money. And, and that's the reality. And that's what I keep going back to for us because all three of us work in the industry, uh, even though we're in different capacities, our goal is to help make it easier. And the reality is today, that's gotta be all of our focal points. So anybody that's listening, that is in the actual cash handling business, whatever that means, whether you're, you're recyclers or safes, even traditional saves, making making it easy for the consumer and you know, the people handling is what life is all about. And that's actually what automation is about, right? That's yeah. what we keep going back to. So well, I think, you know, I think the interesting part about COVID, and I hate talking about COVID prior to the podcast, we were talking about how it always comes up, but the reality yeah. is we're faced with a potential second wave. And I'm not I'm not a doctor or scientist, so I'm not saying that, you know, there is or it isn't or isn't going to happen. But the reality is, you know, we know now how to wear masks in the U.S. We understand how to do, conduct business that way. We also probably know unless that money doesn't make you get COVID, um, you, we probably have all figured that out, that the, the science is out there. So if this does change, you know, we don't know the consumer, we don't know what the consumer behavior will be after this. We may have gone to a lower transaction of cash. Um, that doesn't mean that it's going to go away. We know that there are many retail establishments that still have over 60% cash penetration. We know that the food establishments mm -hmm. do. So we know that that's still there. Um, and payment of choice, which we know we'll talk about um, in an upcoming episode, is real because of the discrimination and the you know, bank piece of it. But at the end of the day, Jessica, I, I guess my question is, and this is probably, um, it may be repetitive from a number of episodes, but I'm curious of your 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 insight of what are you seeing with the trends specific to what you're doing? What are you actually seeing? Are you mm -hmm. seeing a larger adoption of recyclers or smart saves? Are you seeing just an interest or an actual adoption? Well, you know, mm -hmm. what, what's occurring? Yeah, well, so I, I will answer that question, but I actually wanted to pick up on something else that, that you were you're talking about earlier, which is, you know, talking about innovation and how we kind of see ourselves in as a part of this industry. And I think one of the things that, that gets lost is, you know, cash management has been traditionally left out of fintech, um, at least from a categorization standpoint. And I think that's completely incorrect. Um, you know, recently I just did a course with Berkeley and there was no mention of actual fiscal cash. 
And one of the things that I think that our industry needs to focus on, you know, because ultimately what we are producing, so what you were asking about smart safes, cash recyclers, self-checkout, those are IoT devices. Those are FinTech devices. We don't call them that, but they are. And I think that's a really important distinction that as, you know, players in this industry, we also need to evangelize that message. And, And the piece of that that I think is important is where we play is in physical finance. Now, I'm coining this right now, but these are in-person transactions. That's that's the market that we play in. Cash is an in-person you know, transaction. And the physical finance piece within FinTech is extremely important. Now, now that I've finished kind of evangelizing something that I think that we need to latch on to and start to, to really you know, use as a terminology, um, and position ourselves within fintech. I'll, I'll answer your other question. Um, so I would say yes, um, but for a few different reasons. So you know, within recyclers, obviously there are you know a few instances of you know some of our clients. One in particular, a stadium client, you know, decided to go essentially completely cashless. Now, previously the plan was for you know recyclers across their footprint. Now they have these kind of cash to um, card kiosks. So they've kind of been testing that out, you know, to see ultimately, you know, like to your point, are our customers going to decide to go elsewhere? Now, once you've already bought a ticket and you're in a stadium, you might not really have that choice. And if it's your team, maybe you'll still go, even if they're not going to be accepting cash. Um, but I think that's that's a separate, you know, kind of instance. I think in other markets, we really are seeing the return of cash. Um, you know, people are transacting in person and they're they're. I think trying to forget some of the things that they've been going through for the last, you know, 14, 18 months. And while some habits, you know, like food delivery and other things kind of have become now part of the mainstream things that um, we do and myself included more than we would care to admit because it is so convenient. Um, And, you know, ultimately we've seen, at least in the US, those are places where, you know, cash is not accepted as a payment method. So I would say we are seeing a great deal of, you know, implementations. It's not something where, you know, we're, my team is worried about, you know, having a job within the next, you know, several years. There's a place for our, our devices. I think the important piece is going beyond the device and starting to look at, well, how do we make this more efficient? How do we make cash easier for everybody across that cash cycle? So everybody from the end user, the consumer who's conducting that physical financial transaction, you know, to the people that are removing the cash from, you know, the system to the people that are receiving that data and processing that information within their organization. And I think that's, that's the critical piece. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's right. And I mean, it's through the whole chain. I know I saw some, some info from the Bureau of Engraving and Printing this week where they're really looking at things to put in the next generation of currency as they're starting to, to talk about what new designs look like, right? That make it easier to be machine readable uh, and integrate with everything. So I think that, you know, from the, the, from the outset all the way through to the consumer, how do you make the channel easier? And that's what we all, are all looking at. Um, so I think we can, we can figure that, figure that out. That's what hopefully a lot of these discussions and a lot of the, our events and stuff are geared at, try to get everybody together to talk about that. But you're, you're exactly right. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, Sean, the conferences that, you know, you have with ICOS, that's when you have all of those brains in one room. I mean, those are the folks that are, you know, coming up with, you know, the optical sensors and the magnetic sensors and, and you know, infrared and every type of, of way that we can read a note more efficiently um, and accept, you know, a broader range of, of quality notes. Um, I think that's an important piece of the process. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to certainly thank you for joining us and you're welcome to join us again. I, I think when we put together that panel piece, we'll certainly reach out and hopefully it'll work out where we're looking at putting kind of um, a virtual kind of panel together. And we're certainly um, going to tape live at the events that are coming up um, and where I'm really excited about that uh, to actually get to an event with Sean and actually sit next to him and talk and you know, yeah. we, not that I don't like the video, but it's always good to be in person. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, Sean, I'll turn it over to you for, you know, the, uh, the extra. Yeah, no, this was great. And as Tom said, we're looking to put some panels together here. Hopefully we can get all that together, but we are definitely doing that at our, at our upcoming, upcoming events. And we're looking forward to it. It's, it's definitely an interesting time, uh, particularly with the, uh, with the, the Delta variant kind of coming out right now, just in terms of, you know, what's going to happen. But right now, um, most of the events that I'm aware of ours and others um, seem to still be, uh, you know, proceeding. Um, so we're, we're excited about that. Um, you know, we've got some in one in Amsterdam coming up uh, in the end of, end of October, early November. Um, our, our America's one, um, hopefully Jessica will, will be there. Um, we'll be in San Diego in, in early December. Um, but we're, we're excited for that and a lot of good chatter and people are looking, looking forward to, to getting together again. Um, and then our big banknote one in February is, is looking really good right now. Um, people, people might be a little more hesitant. There seems to be some sort of magical thought about what's going to happen at the end of December where people are like, Oh, February is great, but December, we just have to wait and kind of see, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, as I said, you're, people aren't necessarily rational at all times. Um, but anyway, um, we're, we're excited about it and, and the panels are shaping up good. So, you know, all these discussions will be there. So once again, thanks everybody for, for listening. Thank you, Jessica, for, for being part of this. Um, and we look forward to talking with everybody and, and uh, sharing some more thoughts uh, next week. So thanks everybody. Absolutely, thank you. <laughs>